This episode is sponsored in part by Book Riot Insiders. Level up your reading life with a 14-day free trial. Insiders perks include exclusive podcasts and newsletters, swag giveaways, and the new release index curated by All the Books host Liberty Hardy. You can wishlist upcoming releases you've been dying to read and keep track of the most exciting upcoming books. Book Riot Insiders is utopia for book nerds, and you are invited. Go to bookriot.com backslash insiders to find out more. Welcome to Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. This week, Lauren Groff picked Sleepless Nights by Elizabeth Hardwick, and Zoraida Cordova raved about Blanca and Roja by Anna Marie McLemore. Lauren Groff is the award-winning author of the novel The Monsters of Templeton, the short story collection Delicate Edible Birds, and the novel Arcadia. Her third novel, Fates and Furies, was a finalist for the National Book Award in Fiction, the National Book Critics Circle Award, and the Kirkus Award. Her new short story collection, Florida, spans characters, towns, decades, and even centuries with Florida's landscape, climate, history, and state of mind at its gravitational center. My name is Lauren Groff, and Sleepless Nights by Elizabeth Hardwick is my recommended. This is a nutty book that I've read probably four times this year alone because I've been having a lot of issues with insomnia. And it's such a wonderful novel because it feels as though it's a novel burning down all the structures that uh, really traditional novels use. It's a, a novel in memory, and it's a novel in which Billie Holiday sort of waltzes in and becomes this like incredible character, almost fictional character. Um, And it's something that blows my mind every time I read it because I find new and unusual modes of thought in it. Elizabeth Hardwick is, of course, one of the most excruciatingly, extremely, exquisitely beautiful writers of sentences, too. So I can just sort of bask in her sentences late at night when I don't want to worry about the state of the world. The most amazing thing about this book is that there is no plot. It's a kind of crazy biography in fiction in a certain way. The narrator, whose name is Elizabeth, sits down in the very first part and says, it is June. This is what I have decided to do with my life just now. I will do this work of transformed and even distorted memory and lead this life the one I am leading today. That is basically the plot of the book. It it is the most plotless book I know. And yet it sort of gives us the contour of this really perceptive, beautiful human being through the observations and the memories of the people in her life, particularly the, the women in her life. It's really extraordinary. It came out from uh, the New York Review books, and I love basically everything that they put out. It looks like it came out in 2001, and I've had it for a very long time. It's falling apart. It's just one of those books that always feels like it's been a part of me. It it just sort of walks walks along with me for many years. And it's a book. There are books in your life through which you sort of read other books. And this is one of the lenses that falls down in front of my eyes when I'm reading other books also. There are times when I'll go to a bookstore and just go to the NYRB section and take down four or five and then enjoy the heck out of them. I think that's probably what happened with this one. I don't think anybody actually recommended it to me. But, you know, that's one of the most beautiful and exquisite things about independent bookstores is that you can just wander around and find 
a mind that is like a soulmate, it just randomly, you can just pick a book up and it becomes a companion for the rest of your life. It's amazing. It's magical. I think I've read this from a book probably 10 times. I think that one of the first times I read it was when I was nursing my son. I, apparently, I come to this book whenever I'm having periods of insomnia. So I was nursing my first son and I would remember sitting with him and feeling this just exquisite vulnerability and exhaustion. When you're sitting there bared to the world in the middle of the night, it's basically the moment in my life when I was the most vulnerable human being on the planet. I would read this book in a very quiet, sing-songy voice, uh, which it kind of lends itself to just because she's such an exquisite stylist. He would eventually fall asleep. This is a book that's so beautiful that I would just continue reading with him sleeping in my arms in the middle of the night. There's a very tender, very emotional and vulnerable feeling for this book at certain points and possibly my attempts to reread it now in my insomnia now is a, almost a sense memory to get back into that place where things were both vulnerable but also very gentle at the same time. I mean, there's a lot of hope involved in it and a lot of, I guess, peace involved in it too, even though I was awake. And, you know, with my insomnia now, I can't control anything. I can't take melatonin. <laughs> I, can't, I can't actually force myself to go to sleep. So you have to find these mental states that are as close to sleep as possible, even while you're waking. And particularly reading books that are great, great comforts to me is one way that I go about doing that. It's not a sweet book in any way. I mean, it's very, very sharp. It's got a lot of underlying bitterness. I hate the biographical fallacy when it comes to writers. It's one of those things that drives me absolutely bats. But of course, at the same time, as a writer of fiction, you play around with it because it's fun. With this book, you kind of have to insert the biographical fallacy because one, the the narrator, her name is Elizabeth, as Elizabeth Hardwick's name is. And also a lot of people in it are real people from Elizabeth Hardwick's life. Her life was not easy. She was really brilliant Kentuckian. She, I think she's from Louisville, but she came up north and she became a part of the partisan review crowd. And at 33, she married Robert Lowell, who was beset with his own demons. He'd already uh, ruined the life of Jean Stafford, who's another one of my favorite writers from the 20th century. They lived together somewhat happily for a while. Everything she wrote was beautiful. Then he left her for Carolyn Blackwood and used some of Elizabeth Hardwick's uh, letters to him in a poetry book. Then she took him back after Carolyn Blackwood became too crazy. This, this really devastating life. And what, what's so fascinating about this book is that there are these moments where you realize after a few sentences that she's talking about Robert Lowell and she's talking about their lives together. I sort of feel like this book is one of those books that circle the main pain, the deep, dark sort of pit of pain and by circling it, delineate it. But she never looks directly at the central pain and that actually gives it its power. It's this incredibly interesting black hole in the center of the book. I keep about four copies on hand just in case someone comes over for a party or the dinner or something and I can just press it into their hands. I have probably 
five or six books like that that I just keep copies of on hand. And they're never copies that I can find used. I have given the New York Review Books Classic so much of my money in the past uh, 10 to 15 years. It's kind of nuts. Usually this recommendation comes out of someone saying, no books that I've been reading recently are speaking to me. This happens to all readers' lives. I mean, we all have these periods in which the books that we turn to are not comforts anymore. We're not just not into them. And it it has have to do with who we are and have to do with maybe the books that we're finding. They usually say, well, listen, there's this novel. It's called a novel, but it, it doesn't have any loyalty to the rules of novels. And it's not an essay collection. It's very clearly not. But I think that you would like it because it blows everything up in a really subtle in strange way. And and usually people love the book. I haven't I haven't given it to anyone who's been like, eh, it's kind of meh. It's really a tremendously beautiful book, more like poetry, I think, than what you would think of when it comes to a novel. It's such a hard book to describe other than to say that if there's a point in your life that you feel the need to blow something up, it's a really good book. It's a really good bomb, a really good stick of dynamite, I think. Something really, really similar is Renata Adler's Speedboat, which is a book that I absolutely love. I think in some ways, Adler and Hardwick share sensibility. I would say that David Markson's Wittgenstein's Mistress is another book just like this. They're all somewhat plotless, but they're all sharp as stilettos. They're women basically edges of their existence in a, in a certain way. All of these books are just so brilliant. And they're so, they kind of unroll feeling like essays as opposed to feeling like the standard plotted novel. I would love for it to inform my own writing. I think that's part of why I keep rereading it is that I want it to inform my writing more than it does. This is also why I keep rereading Middlemarch, for instance. I want George Eliot's voice in in mine. And there's probably 10 other books too. I wish it informed it more, but you write the stories that are given to you to write. And sometimes you really don't have much say in the selection of them. Maybe in the future, I will write something that's closer to the spirit. And I don't even add collaging, I guess, of Sleepless Nights. I hope so, but we'll see. Thanks again to Lauren Groff for joining us and recommending Sleepless Nights by Elizabeth Hardwick. Her short story collection, Florida, published by Riverhead, is now available wherever books are sold. And you can follow Groff on Twitter at L.E. Groff. This episode of Recommended is also brought to you by Book Riot's own Annotated Podcast. Annotated is an audio documentary podcast series about books, language, and reading. Episodes range from 15 to 25 minutes long, and cover a whole range of bookish topics. Past episodes have covered how J.P. Morgan's personal librarian became the most glamorous librarian in the world, even as she guarded a dangerous secret. The wild story of how 1984 came to be written and how the CIA got involved. And an exploration of why we care so much about the Oxford comma that begins, unexpectedly, with a love story. A very nerdy love story. If you like podcasts like This American Life, Planet Money, or 99% Invisible, we think you're going to love Annotated. You can get Annotated for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
Zoraida Cordova is the award-winning author of the Vicious Deep Trilogy and the Brooklyn Brujas series. Her short fiction has appeared in the New York Times best-selling anthology Star Wars from a Certain Point of View and Toil and Trouble, 16 Tales of Women and Witchcraft. The second book in the Brooklyn Brujas series, Bruja Born, follows Lula Mortiz as she seeks to use her healing powers to bring back a deceased loved one. But something else comes back too. My name is Zoraida Cordova and Blanca y Roja by Anna Marie McElmore is my recommended. This book comes out in October of this year. Blanca y Roja is a story about two sisters. It's inspired by Snow White and Rose Red and the swan princess and it's about two sisters who are cursed in a long family line where one of them is destined to turn into a swan and so they try their entire lives to stay together to become the same person so the swans don't take them and inevitably things start to fall apart and it's about the division of sisters the division of family and these two mysterious boys who get sucked in to the same magical forest that her and her family have lived in for years and years and years. I've read Anna Marie McElmore's debut novel, The Weight of Feathers, and her writing is super lush and it's soft without being overly dramatic. It has this quality where it feels like poetry, even though it's a complete narrative. The Weight of Feathers was considered magical realism, and all of her books are considered magical realism. I think the author is Latina. She considers herself Latina, and she's half Mexican, I believe. I got a galley of this book. The minute that I read it, I felt sort of transported into this magical, mysterious forest world. And it's for for somebody like me, who is a first-generation immigrant, to have a story by a peer who is writing in the same tradition of magical realism is really important. And so this book specifically, out of her other two, I don't know why it's different. I think that I haven't been able to really find why this book strikes me so much more, but I think it's a connection about sisters and the idea that your entire society, your family, your neighborhood your town, everyone has expectations of you, of what you look like. And so each sister, one is named Blanca and the other one name is Roja, it's like their fates are decided for them by everyone else. And then they're the ones who make an active decision to say, we're going to change our fate. I was on an airplane when I started reading this book, and I recently read some statistic that says that you're more likely to cry while you're watching a movie in an airplane. And I don't know if it was, you know, being super high in the air or if it was just because this book is so good that within the first 40 pages I was already having that like feeling in your chest where you're just gonna cry because something bad is happening to these girls (laughs) it's two sisters and there's a magical forest and there are these two boys there's a trans character and there's a very lovely discussion about that in this as well I think my favorite character though is Roja, because she was born, Roja means red in Spanish, so she was born with with red hair, but it wasn't the the right kind of red hair. It's like blood, wet, red hair. Meanwhile, her sister Blanca is born with like beautiful golden hair. 
they're both Latinx characters. And so there's all the superstition that goes along with them. So Roja was always seen as the one that the swans would take just because she has the feistier personality or, and because she's already painted as the wicked one. And so there's a lot of reference to fairy tales. And that's what it feels like. It feels like a classical fairy tale. In the fairy tale, the blonde one is always the pretty princess. And then darker redheaded one is the witch. And so it's about her showing her softness. And I don't think that we get, especially in young adult fiction, we don't always get to see the those dynamics inverted. They both have fierce loyalties, but I think that Roja is the kind of person who she would wait for her sister to start a betrayal before she started it first, even though she's supposed to be the bad one. I vaguely knew Snow White and Rose Red. And obviously the Swan Princess, she just turns into a princess, I think. Um, the book starts with saying, the first line of the book is, everyone has their own way of telling our story. The author lists four different versions of it, that generations ago, a girl was like lured into the forest by these swans. Another one is these two sisters were fighting, so the swans cursed them for some reason. And so it just happens that every single generation, every woman that can bear children has two daughters no matter what. And one of them is taken. And when they're taken, they're just gone. They just, you just lose a part of yourself. So there's this idea that you're not, you spent the first 15 years of your life with this person and then all of a sudden they're gone. But the question is, would you rather it have been you? So it's the implication where, yeah, you love your sister, but at the end of the day, you don't want to be the one that's chosen to get taken away and never come back and never be human again. I have to pass my advanced reader copy along, but I know that when it does come out, I'll definitely be gifting it to somebody or to people who love books, stories like this. I want to be able to rave about it because it's, I think that it feels like a classic, a classical story. But it questions a lot of our ideas about who gets to tell our story, how can we save ourselves. And for young girls, I think that message, for I mean, for young anybody, that message is really important. I think that we're always going to retell these fairy stories, and it's always going to be about how fresh it is. And I think that because this book does have some Spanish words woven in, and because the family is Latinx... I've never seen a story done like this quite before. Even though we know the story of Snow White, we don't always know the Snow White Rose Red story. I think there was another Swan Princess retelling recently, but I don't remember the title. I think it's becoming one of those things in YA where we've had a lot of Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast retellings, but I think that people, they try to find the more obscure ones to see how those pan out. For me, it's more of why not? If I see something that hasn't really been done a lot or that has been done in a new way, even if it's familiar, I think that I really gravitate towards it because I love fairy tales and I love all stories with magic. I think that reading this book, you know, when you read a book that's so beautiful that you're just like, I'm never going to be this good. So, <laughs> so <laughs> maybe in that sense, in the sense that I almost feel like it's so good that it just, it gives me a moment of anguish. But I think it's, it's important to read books like that because it, it pushes you to be better. And I think that the quality of her writing, there's this thing that we do in YA where we take out a lot of prose to sort of 
make it super fast and fast paced. And I think this is one of the first books that I read in a long time that it reminds me to slow down and enjoy language in a different way. And not to disparage YA because like it's my genre. I love it. It's everything that I've loved since I was a kid. But I want us to sort of be able to have both. Like we can have the fast paced books and then we can have books that are really lush and sort of allow us to sink into the page to feel everything the characters are feeling and to sense them and to Anna Marie Macklemore does such a good job at sensory detail that you just sit and you linger and you think about a sentence that she just wrote. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. There's like a quality of the writing that it makes it feel like it's luscious and it's like, like it's sexy, but not sexual, if that makes sense. I don't know. I'm just fascinated. (laughs) I think that my takeaway from this book is the idea that you can choose your family in a way that you're not tied down to the politics of blood and names and lineage and your bond is more than just these bone and blood things. I think that it's important to give stories about young girls who have different kinds of strengths that are not physical all the time. And sometimes the strongest thing that you can have is your power to choose your own fate. Thanks again to Zoraida Cordova for joining us and recommending Blanca and Roja by Anna Marie McLemore. You can pick up Bruja Born, published by Sourcebooks, wherever books are sold. You can follow Cordova on Twitter at ZLikenZorro. Next week on Recommended, an author talks about how a historical novel blew her mind. I was so overcome. I think even when LGBTQ fiction makes strides, they're relegated into YA where it's this coming of age narrative. And the fact is, like, I didn't really come out until I was an adult. I didn't really find myself until I was an adult. And so to see an adult novel that was in no way lured, but for which sexuality and sex was definitely an essential aspect of the narrative and seduction in particular, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Thanks again to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. If you like what you heard, please take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear your feedback, and it helps other folks to find the show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash recommended, and you can email us at recommended at bookriot.com. <laughs>